Ten Commandments. I'm not going to read all ten, but I want to read a section. Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, and showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would instruct us tonight. Just pray that there would be something here for each one of us. Instruct us by thy spirit now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to speak with you concerning the danger of worship. The danger of worship. I, I prepared this message uh, today, and then in the latter part of the afternoon, I decided I'd just type that into the uh, on the computer and see what came up. And I found out there's actually a book writ- written called the, the The Dangerous Act of Worship. I don't know anything about the book, but I at least I know that there's somebody else thinking along the same lines <laughs> I was. Worship is dangerous. That's my primary proposition this evening. Now, to many people today, they just view worship as a harmless endeavor, something that religious people do. Something that's not all that important, really, in the grand scheme of things, but the Bible takes just the opposite view. Worship is the most important aspect of our existence and something that is central to life right now and right on throughout eternity. So as we see here in the uh, first four of the Ten Commandments actually deal with various aspects of worship, especially the second one. So we see that worship can be dangerous from a negative standpoint talks about uh, not making an idol, any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth or in the water below. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then he talks about the punishment that comes because of false worship. So false worship is a dangerous thing because, simply because God hates it. And to be on the side of anything that God hates is a, a dangerous position to be in. 
So false worship, and especially idolatry, is hated by God because he hates any perverted presentation of his character, and that's what false worship does. It's a perverted, a wrong presentation of his character. The greatest sin is to have any God other than the true God. And this is what false worship does. It presents a false God. Puts a false God in the place of the true and living God. One of the ways that we understand what happens when a person is converted is that they turn from false gods to the true God. Now, you know, we got to make sure we're not just thinking about some metal or, uh, or uh, physical God, something that you can hold in your hand, because those are just those are probably not even primary forms of idolatry. Primary forms are the idols of the heart, and so I think when Paul said to the Thessalonians that you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, he was probably uh, talking about physical idols, those kind that, that you can hold in your hand. But it, uh, far more idolatry involves idols of the heart, false ideas of God that people cherish and hold on to in their hearts and minds. Uh, well, anyway, the main point that I want to make here to begin with is that false worship is dangerous because God hates it, and he will have it destroyed. And you see him commanding that in the Old Testament uh, to when they would go into a, a uh, area where there was idolatry and false worship. He'd have those idols destroyed, the people destroyed. Uh, so it's a dangerous thing, false worship. Another reason that false worship is dangerous is that you become like what you worship. Not only is God going to destroy false worship, false worship will destroy you. Um, you see this principle in Psalm 115, and I just want to read this to you here. You don't need to turn to it. We've looked at it a number of times, but uh, I think it's good a good reminder. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's the true God. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them will become like them. So are all who trust in them. You become like what you worship. And what he's saying, what the psalmist is saying, is that these idols are senseless. And this is what happens to those who worship them. They, they become senseless. Less and less in contact with reality. Less in contact with reality. Those idols were deaf and dumb and dead. And that is the legacy of those who are involved in false worship. They become deaf and dumb 
and dead, dead to truth. So the, the danger, the terrible danger of false worship is that you become like what you worship. One writer put it this way. He said, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. Have no doubt about that. You're going to worship something, and whatever you worship, you're going to be like that. That God will write their names on your faces. He may think that his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will out. In other words, you may think what you're worshiping is just going on in your heart, but it'll come out. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. So, false worship is dangerous. Why? Because God hates it, first of all, and he's going to destroy it. Secondly, it's dangerous because it will destroy you. False worship, because you'll become like what you worship. Uh, it dehumanizes you. False worship dehumanizes a person, producing degrading of passions and depravity of mind. That's what Romans 1 tells us. False worship leads to degrading passions and depravity of the mind. Another reason that false worship is dangerous is that it is a way or an attempt to control God by putting the creature in place of the creator, something more manageable to man. That's what, that's what false worship's all about, putting the creature in place of the creator, something more manageable by man. In other words, it's an attempt to control God. The true God will not be controlled by a puny man. Fallen man wants a domesticated deity, but God will smash all such systems. That's why it's dangerous. God's going to smash it. Let me just read a little from Tozer here. This is out of the knowledge of the holy. The human mind being created had it, has an under, understandable uneasiness about the uncreated. We do not find it comfortable to allow for the presence of one who is wholly outside the circle of our familiar knowledge. We tend to be disquieted by the thought of one who does not account, who does not account to us for his being who is responsible to no one, who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. Philosophy and science have not always been friendly toward the idea of God, the reason being that they are dedicated to the task of accounting for things and are impatient with anything that refuses to give an account of itself. The philosopher and the science scientist will admit that there is much they do not know but that is quite another thing from admitting that there is something which they can never know, which indeed they have no technique for discovering. 
to admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside all of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries, this requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. Yet, how he eludes us. He's not going to allow that. That's the danger of false worship, you see. The type of worship that would put the creature in place of the creator so that you can control or have more a more manageable God. He has not and will not relinquish control of one molecule of his creation to man or anybody else, anything else. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Well, so much for the danger then. I mean, there's plenty more that could be said, but that's all that I uh, have here in terms of the danger of false worship. But we need to also recognize that true worship has its dangers. Yes, false worship is hated by God, but true worship is hated by the devil. Why is that? Well, because he hates God and desires to be worshipped himself. So anything he can do to stop true worship, he'll do. Which makes true worship dangerous. Those who would desire to truly worship God are particular targets of Satan. Not only that, in keeping with the principle of becoming like what you worship, the true worshiper will become like Christ, which means more animosity from the world. One example of that would be the outcome of the first recorded act of worship in the scriptures. That is the worship of Cain and Abel. You remember the situation there. Cain kills Abel because Abel was righteous. Right in the midst of this act of worship, you see. We're told this in 1 John. For this is the message which you have learned from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So each of those two were becoming like what they were worshiping. Cain, like Satan. Abel, like Christ. And Cain kills Abel. And that is a continuing pattern. If you go around the world today and find people that are truly worshiping God, in many places you'll find Cain killing Abel or trying to. So true worship is dangerous 
because of the animosity of the evil one and evil men. But lastly, and most importantly, and most wonderfully, really, true worship is dangerous because sometimes God shows up in marvelous manifestations of his presence in the midst of even one or two people that are truly worshiping him. At such time, sin is exposed, spiritual complacency is rebuked, God's holiness is brought home to hearts, and lives are changed. Even lives of people that are already Christians are changed. So, in that sense, you could say true worship is dangerous because it brings us in contact with the true and living God. And at certain times, God chooses to manifest himself in remarkable ways um, where there's renewed wonder and amazement and awe concerning the person and work of Christ. Now, um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, and uh, we're kind of breaking into the middle of a section related to tongues and prophecy and, and uh, the gifts of the Spirit uh, that are active in the church, especially here in the Corinthian church. But he says this beginning with verse 23. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? They won't get anything out of that because they don't understand anything. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, taking a broad view of what it means to prophesy, uh, I think that prophecy can come forth in a lot of different forms, even in the midst of uh, a song that's presented or, or called for that God has laid on somebody's heart. God can use that to speak to hearts. God can use a message. God can use a conversation. There's lots of ways that uh, in the midst of, of uh, worship that God can use truth to come home to people's hearts. And it says the secrets of this, either this unbeliever or ungifted man, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. True worship is dangerous because God uses it to work in other people's hearts. And uh, I think maybe a good example of that, uh, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, we sometimes think of 
the manifestation of, of, of God's presence might come in a, such a powerful way that, that everybody's going to fall on their face or something like that. Well, that can be. Uh, but even a little true worship God can use in amazing ways. And uh, I want to give an example of that that took place on this day 160 years ago on a day very much like this because it was a very snowy day. And it was January 6th, 1850, when a 15-year-old boy walked into a church that he did not intend to go to. Anybody know who I'm talking about? <laughs> he walked into a church he didn't intend to go to because it was snowing so much he couldn't get to the one he wanted to go to. And he got to this church and a lot of the people didn't make it to the meeting because of the snow. So there was just a few people gathered there and the preacher didn't make it to the meeting either. So uh, one of the men, a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. I'm reading Spurgeon's account here of what happened that day. Um, he says, it's good that ministers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. Uh, as you would say. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that, reason that he had nothing else to say. And the text was this, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. So he goes on and tells how this preacher just kept repeating the text over and over. But there were, a peop there were a group of people there, not very many, but they wanted to worship God. And this man, we don't even know his name, one wanted to worship God. And God was using him to prophesy to Charles Spurgeon. Uh, let me just skip around here. He said this, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look, now that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. A man has no need to go to college to learn to look. You, anyone can look. A child can look. And then he goes on to say, but it says look to me. And he's saying... You've got to look to Christ. Um, well, there wasn't a whole lot more that he said, but towards the end of the time, he, look, he, he stops and uh, looks at Spurgeon, this 15-year-old guy who, you know, he's never been there before. And he says this, Young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> well, I did but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made of my personal appearance from the pulpit. <laughs> However, it was a good blow struck. He, the man continued, And you will always be miserable. 
miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey the words of this text. And that's what God used to save him. Uh, he said, but if you will obey now, this moment you will be saved. And then he shouted at him, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And I, it's, Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, I did look. And he became a new creature. Uh, let me just read another account here because I like uh, this little... Uh, ending here. It says, uh, The young man did look. Spurgeon later said, As the snow fell on my road home from that little little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake, oh, snowflake talked to me and told me of the pardon I had found. Arriving home, his mother saw his expression and exclaimed, Something wonderful has happened to you. In other words, that transformation that we are talking about, you know, that you become like what you worship, that already began right then, already changing him. Something wonderful has happened to you. He was becoming like what he was beginning to worship. So, the emphasis of what I've said tonight is that worship is dangerous. False worship is dangerous, and true worship has its own particular dangers. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we would ask you to direct us into true worship. We want to be people that worship you in spirit, who put no confidence in the flesh or fleshly ways. We ask that you would help us to see and understand and believe more of what you really are so that we might worship you rightly and be changed more into your image. We thank you that you can take even very simple acts of worship like these people that were gathered there on that snowy day 160 years ago and use it to change the world. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.